presented by Facebook. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghun Ovalin. It's Thursday. Here's two questions. What did the FBI know and how did they know it? It's our Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. There are two stories in today's playbook worth your time this morning, one about Trump and the Wall Street Journal and one about Biden and the Washington Post. They intersect with each other in a way that gets to the heart of the most profound question in American politics. First, there's a government informant inside Donald Trump's inner circle. That's the takeaway from Alex Leary, Aruna Viswanatha, and Sadie Gurman from the Wall Street Journal, who retelled the tale of the Mar-a-Lago records caper with important new details. On June 3rd, Jay Bratt, chief of counterintelligence and export control section at the DOJ, visited Mar-a-Lago to inspect a storage room that contained presidential documents. By this point in a standoff with the government, Trump had already returned 15 boxes of records to the National Archives, which subsequently found, quote, classified national security information among the returned items. Trump, who stopped by the June inspection to greet Bratt, had told the government that there was no more classified material in his possession. The dispute, it appeared when Bratt showed up, was about returning what Trump represented to be non-sensitive documents. Retaining non-classified documents is still a violation of the strict Presidential Records Act, but the available evidence suggests the two sides were working it out. But things started to escalate. Five days later, Brad sent Trump's lawyer, Evan Cochran, an email, a copy of which was read over the phone to the journal, quote, We asked that the room in Mar-a-Lago, where the documents had been stored, be secured, and that all the boxes that were moved from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, along with any other items in that room, be preserved in that room in their current condition until further notice. Then on June 22nd, the government subpoenaed Mar-a-Lago surveillance footage, which the journal says was provided. And then on Monday, the FBI warrant was executed. Here's the question, what changed? The answer, according to the journal, is that an informant told the FBI that Trump was lying. According to the journal, quote, someone familiar with the store papers told investigators there may be still more classified documents at the private club after the National Archives retrieved 15 boxes earlier in the year. People familiar with the matter said, and Justice Department officials had doubts that the Trump team was being truthful regarding what material remained at the property, one person said. And not only was Trump lying about retaining additional classified materials, according to the informant, this Trump insider knew precisely where they were. That, at least, is the version of events described by William M. Arkin from Newsweek, who was the first to report the existence of an informant, citing, quote, officials with, quote, direct knowledge of the FBI deliberations. Quote, the raid on Mar-a-Lago was based largely on information from an FBI confidential human source, Arkin writes. One who was able to identify what classified documents former President Trump was still hiding and even the location of those documents, two senior government officials told Newsweek. Worth noting, as of early this morning, no other news organization has matched the journal and Newsweek's explosive reporting about the informant. The second story worthy of your time is Michael Scherer, Ashley Parker, and Tyler Pager's account of recent meetings between Joe Biden and a circle of policy, political, and academic experts from outside the administration. The meetings follow Biden's promise to do more outreach, to seek, quote, more input, more information, more constructive criticism about what I should and shouldn't be doing, as he put it during a news conference in January. There was a foreign policy roundtable in January to discuss Russia, which was then on the verge of invading Ukraine. 
Former President Bill Clinton dined with Biden on May 2nd and offered advice on inflation and the midterms. But the most fascinating meeting documented in the piece came last week on August 4th, the same afternoon that storms rolled through Washington and lightning struck and killed three people in Lafayette Park across from the White House. On the guest list that day were Ann Applebaum from The Atlantic and four historians. This was not a light conversation. The Post notes that, quote, some of last week's discussion focused on similarities between today's landscape and the period leading up to World War II when growing authoritarianism abroad found its disturbing echo in the United States. One person familiar with the meeting told Playbook that the conversation was heavy on the roots of populism, the appeal of autocrats, and the competition between autocracy and democracy, a longtime Biden theme. And this is where the Trump news and Biden news intersect. Part of the conversation with the historians raised one of the most important questions that Biden faces. A person familiar with the meeting had this to say, quote, Biden is in the middle of a really good run, but will remarkable but traditional legislative achievements make a big enough difference to people to resist the populist pull of this autocratic grievance culture. Biden suggested to the historians that he wrestles with how to confront the populist threat they all discussed last week. Should he confront it head-on and every day, or should he mostly just show there's an alternative that works better? The person familiar with the meeting, quote, He's very fluent with both the global and domestic sources of the appeal of authoritarian populist moments. He's thinking about it a lot, and the answer that he's come to is that the best thing to do is govern well. He knows that autocracy is a threat, so his job is to make sure democracy delivers. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. President Joe Biden has nothing on his public schedule. He's on vacation in South Carolina. And don't expect many more details other than that, per Sungmin Kim and Zeke Miller from the Associated Press. Quote, the White House did not respond to requests to provide details on Biden's vacation schedule, activities, or when he planned to return to Washington, nor did it provide information on the residence where he was staying. Here's what's on the vice president's calendar. At 425, Vice President Kamala Harris will participate in a press call about investments in tribal broadband. At 505, Harris will host a roundtable discussion with California state legislatures and advocates to discuss reproductive health care. The Senate and the House are out today. One story worth your time in today's playbook, Haley Fuchs has the details on the latest fundraising fad that has overtaken the D.C. nexus between K Street and the Capitol. Quote, access to a bundle of small gatherings that lobbyists can purchase. Instead of brief FaceTime with a lawmaker at a single event, they are offered the opportunity to develop almost a familial relationship with him or her over a series of them. I too like to spend my money on experiences over things. All right, for more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogu Munavalin. Have a good Thursday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. Facebook is taking action to keep its platform safe. In the last six years, Facebook spent over $16 billion, enough to build seven pro stadiums, all to help create safer connections. Learn more about the work ahead at facebook.com forward slash action.